This is my husband's victim impact statement that he wrote the court. Your Honor and the court, on July 12th, 2015, as my fiance Jennifer and I enjoyed our visit at Appalachie Correctional Institution and celebrated in anticipation of our wedding the next morning, we were approached by a corrections sergeant who warned us that I needed to be careful because there were a lot of people there at ACI that didn't want to, didn't want to see us get married. I smiled and shrugged it off. Throughout the day, we were harassed by other officers until Jennifer suggested we end our visitation an hour early so we wouldn't give them any more reason to hassle us. She hugged and kissed me, then held my face and said, don't let them get to you. Don't allow them to provoke you. No matter what happens, don't let them get to you. I've got your back. The next morning, as Major Baxter became hostile, Jennifer's words repeated over and over in my head. Instead of defending myself, I fell to the ground and allowed four men to harm me. I just wanted to get married and go home. I didn't want to catch another charge. The physical harm was not enough for Major Baxter. He then went on to falsify reports so that I would be charged with assaulting corrections officers, resulting in disciplinary action. My disciplinary status would continue for 30 terrible long months. Following the attack on me, I was sent to maximum management, which is solitary confinement reserved for the worst of the worst offenders. No window, no phone, no pictures, no visitation, no canteen, and no outdoors. I was in solitary confinement in a cement box behind two steel doors, and I arrived during the hottest month of the year. It was excruciating with no AC. 24 hours a day with no activities and no conversation. It took about a week for me to receive my first letter from Jennifer, but my eyes were so swollen shut that I struggled to be able to read it. Later, I would realize that the pages of her letter were stained with her tears. I was left alone to relive the July 13th incident over and over in my head for what felt like eternity. Even the strongest of men would go mad in these situations. I was known by my supervising officers as the inmate that attacked four officers, including a major. Every time I was removed from my cell, the handcuffs seemed to be too tight. The handling seemed to be too rough. I was, I was constantly in fear for my life. The stress alone caused me to lose 40 pounds in less than 60 days. Additionally, due to the July 13th incident, I suffered from continuous headaches, fainting spells, eye pain, jaw pain, eyesight changes for the worse, pain on my elbow, nightmares, and panic attacks. But no matter how many medical complaints I made, my concerns were never taken seriously or treated. I was finally able to place a phone call to Jennifer and hear her voice after not being able to talk to her for four long months. We were allowed one 15-minute phone call per month. Before this incident, we were used to, to 5 to 12 calls per day. This is when I learned that our marriage had been finalized a couple weeks earlier. Instead of being allowed to be married on July 13, 2015, we were married by proxy October 9, 2015. After 22 years of loving this woman, I wasn't even allowed to attend my own wedding. I didn't get to kiss my new wife. I didn't even know the marriage was finalized until two weeks after I was married. I didn't get to kiss my wife for the first time until 2018, more than two years after we were married. The first time I was allowed to see Jennifer was in December 2015, five months after the incident, but just for two hours and we were separated by glass. Prior to the incident, we were allowed to visit 12 hours every weekend, sit together, have meals together, hold hands, hug and kiss. Over these 30 months, I was often reminded by officers that they take care of their own, I was regularly refused my two hours per week outdoor time. I was refused the phone when it was my turn. 
and I was even refused meals for three days over a weekend. Michael Baxter's decision to falsify records negatively impacted a number of people other than myself. First, my now wife, Jennifer, who fought for our constitutional right to marry while I was in confinement, who cared for our three children who all started college while I was in confinement, who launched two companies while I was in confinement, and all of this while fighting a debilitating chronic illness compounding greatly by the stress of these last 33 months. My sons, Stephen and Thomas, who both turned 18, and my daughter, Rebecca, who turned 16, all while I was in confinement and without phone privileges, so we couldn't talk on these very important days. And the numerous Department of Corrections employees impacted by Major Baxter's actions. Miss Watts was forced out of her employment at FDC and ostracized by her community and church, all because she told the truth. Captain Lee, who was demoted because he was forced out because he chose to do the right thing on July 12, 2015, when officers were harassing us and ultimately forced out of employment at FDC, and the several other employees who have perjured themselves and attempted to obstruct justice by falsifying their reports. Michael Baxter has been with the Department of Corrections for nearly 30 years. A bad apple can do a lot of damage in that time. He was a high-ranking officer. He was supposed to be a leader and set an example for subordinate and peers. The example he portrayed on July 13, 2015, and the days following was one that correction officers are above the law, that you can treat an inmate less than humane, that you can blame the victim for your crime, and so long as they all stick together, then they will get away with it. Michael Baxter has set a bad example. I am asking the court to sentence Michael Baxter to the maximum allowable time, not only because of my suffering, the the suffering of others I have mentioned here, but also because law enforcement and correctional officers should be held to at least the same standard as myself, if not a higher standard. Our lives, safety, and well-being are placed in their hands. We are unable to defend ourselves against them, and we shouldn't have to. A correctional institution is a place for rehabilitation, not abuse. I'm asking the court to show that actions such as Baxter's will not be tolerated, and if a law enforcement or correctional officer chooses to act criminally, then he will be prosecuted and sentenced to the full extent of the law. Sincerely, Darren Glover.